Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me, Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we Come on, everybody, episode 342 of the podcast. It is Swimming America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020, people. Hope everybody's having a great week, uh, and it's a really fun show. It's the Tuesday edition. You know, we just throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks and see what doesn't. Well, guess what? We're doing it again today. Uh, It was a little bit of a quiet Monday across sports, so here's kind of the rundown of today's show. We'll open with the follow-up to that Dan Mullen story. I talked about it on Monday's show. Uh, This was a guy, I don't want to say he instigated a brawl between Missouri and Florida, but I do think he escalated it. SEC comes in with a fine. I don't think it was enough. It's not that I hate Dan Mullen or I hate Florida. But I do think it's a little bit hypocritical from the SEC's perspective. We'll get into that. Then we'll transition into basketball because, incredibly, we're about three, three and a half weeks away from the start of the season. I don't think most people realize how close we are here. And to kick things off, over the next few weeks, we will do a lot of basketball content. This Tuesday show, we'll get in a lot of basketball. We're going to start with the SEC. I will give you a preview of the league, the teams you need to know, the teams that are going to stink. Hint, Georgia, Tom Crean, Georgia. Uh, We'll talk about everything you need to know about the SEC. I'm not going to go team by team or anything, but just the big storylines. And then after I do my SEC basketball preview, how about this? Rick Barnes, head coach, Tennessee. He was on in April. It was one of the most fun, wide-ranging, fascinating interviews that I have done on this podcast. We went for about 40 minutes back in April. I do encourage you to go listen to it, but... If you are listening to today's show, uh, we do get Coach Barnes for about 20 minutes, and I think it's a great interview, great way to kick off kind of SEC basketball coverage because Tennessee, along with Kentucky, is probably one of the two favorites in this league. So we talk about Coach Barnes' team, we talk about Tennessee, what he likes, what he doesn't, and really just what it's like to prepare for a season at this moment in time. It's kind of crazy uh, with all the testing and how much can we travel and the Orlando bubble was canceled all that stuff. Really fun interview with Rick Barnes. We will get out of here. Obviously, Thursday's show will preview the weekend ahead in college football. But today, Dan Mullen, SEC basketball preview, Rick Barnes. Before we get started, I want to remind you, please make sure 
that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. I know I ask you every episode. I know it probably gets annoying. It really does help if you give us a quick five-star. If you leave a comment, helps us move up those iTunes charts. And as I always say, if you can follow on social media, come find me on Instagram. Lots of cool stuff there. At Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Uh, Aaron Torres Pod on Twitter. Uh, YouTube channel, blow it up. As I said, Aaron Torres, you can find me there. And of course, Aaron Torres Writer on Facebook where I post all my picks, all my articles, all of those kinds of things. So make sure you're following on all the channels. And I do appreciate your guys' support. As I said, October, most downloads in the history of the show. We'll see if we can break that in November, but it was the fourth time in six months that we set a downloads record, kind of incredible for a college sports-based podcast, had no games till the middle of September, and we rocked and rolled in May, June, July, August, September, on and on and on. And with that said, people, there is no more time to waste. Let's get into the big story of the day. And as I said, pretty quiet Monday coming out of the college football Saturday. First of all, I would say really quick, uh, I do want to send my thoughts very briefly to Ole Miss, where I don't know if you guys saw this story, but Ole Miss actually had a player airlifted out of practice on Monday. It was a freshman tight end, Demarcus Thomas. Lane Kiffin seemed very concerned. It sounds like there are some positive updates coming out of Oxford, but obviously our thoughts are with the Thomas family, with Ole Miss. That's a very scary story. It was something I saw right before I came on here to do the show. So Demarcus Thomas, we do hope will be okay. But outside of that, the only real big story going on in college football right now is this Dan Mullen deal. And uh, as a quick reminder, I I spent a lot of time talking about it on Monday's show. I'm not going to give you too much, but I do want to give you a little bit of context for people who did not see this story or did not see the brawl that happened against Missouri. But here is the rundown of the Dan Mullen deal at Florida. Essentially, it's Saturday night in the swamp. As I said on Monday's show, a lot of other stuff going on in college football at that moment in time. And a little bit of a sloppy game, right? Florida's coming off two weeks where they haven't played. They didn't practice there for a while. Missouri's struggling. It's just kind of a game. It's just kind of going on. It's Nothing's really that interesting, but Florida kind of is starting to pull away at the end of the half. And right before the half, they get the ball back. Their quarterback, Kyle Trask, who right now might be in position to be a candidate for the Heisman, drops back in the pocket, final play of of the half, uh, deep pass, let's go of the ball, and some Missouri defender just comes in and hits him really hard. Uh, And in defense of Dan Mullen, like, it was very much a dirty hit. It was after he let go of the ball. It was unnecessary. It was over the top. But with it being the final play of the game, of the half, excuse me, as soon as the ball hit the turf, Dan Mullen makes a beeline towards the Missouri players as they are heading towards the tunnel. I know some Florida fans are going to sit here and say, oh, he was going for the refs. No, he went straight for the Missouri sideline. Um, And as he started to do that, several of his coaching staff, his players start to pull him away. But in the process of everyone pulling him away, what it actually does is bring both sidelines together 
Um, and all of a sudden, a brawl breaks out, right? And you saw the highlights by now. You saw what happened, but punches are thrown. Uh, as I said on Monday's show, don't really know why you're punching it, guys, wearing helmets, but that's another conversation for another day. And it becomes this big brawl. Three players are thrown out. And so on Monday, we were waiting for a verdict on what is going to happen to Dan Mullen. Well, the SEC comes out, and they hit him with a $25,000 fine. And I will just say that based on the precedent that the SEC has set, uh, I don't think it's enough. And I thought it was kind of a soft move, and I think there's a lot of SEC fans, especially in Athens, Georgia, that are frustrated saying, did you give Dan Mullen a break because Florida has a big game against Georgia this weekend? And before I explain kind of why I think it's soft, I do think it's important for people who are new to this show, for people who listen, you guys know I'm not one of these guys that thinks, oh, like we got to clean up everything and everything's, uh, you know, this and that. And, you know, like like it's football. It's physical. It was a dirty hit. Stuff happens uh, and you get emotional. Right. And, And I do think I will defend in one instance the Florida fans who are defending Dan Mullen, because while I don't think he should have done it. Um, I do think the reason he got so frustrated was because he was defending his player, right? You come at my quarterback, I'm coming after you, right? It's like John Calipari always says in basketball, you come after one of mine, I come after you 10 times harder. And that's essentially what Dan Mullen did. He thought his player got hit with a cheap shot. He didn't like it. And he's going to let the Missouri players know about it. He looked ready to fight himself. And so to me, on the one hand, I can't really be all that mad at Dan Mullen Because the way that I look at it is, he's defending his guys. He's standing up for his guys, and that's what we want from our coaches, right? We want our coaches to have our players' backs. We want our coaches to have our players' backs on the field and off the field. It was a big theme uh, when it came to the Big Ten earlier this fall, right? We loved the fact that Scott Frost had his players' backs and were fighting to get Nebraska football back. We loved the fact that Jim Harbaugh, uh, for what he's done since, had his players' backs off the field and wanted to get them on the field to play. Same with Ryan Day, on and on and on. And I think it's the same case here, right? It's easy for all of us to say that, oh, Dan Mullen was so out of control. But, like, if it was your quarterback and it was your coach, you'd want him to do the same. Um, You know, we got Kentucky fans that listen. If Terry Wilson took a nasty hit like that, you'd want Mark Stoops up in somebody's face. If you're an Arkansas fan, you'd want Sam Pittman up in somebody's face. I'm a UConn fan, not going to lie, can't name the quarterback at UConn because they're not playing this year. But if that happened and Randy Edsel's old, boring butt got in somebody's face, like, I'd be cool with this. Like, Randy Edsel, go after the guy. Let him know. So on the one hand, I'm not particularly mad at Dan Mullen from the perspective that he was so aggressive. And do do I wish he hadn't like instigated a brawl? Yes, I do wish he hadn't instigated a brawl. But I also don't think that you can get too mad when he is defending his players. So from that perspective, I'm not mad about what Dan Mullen did as much as I am mad about how the SEC handled it. And the reason that I kind of think the SEC uh, went a little bit soft on Dan Mullen is because all fall long... They have set the precedent that they are going to put up with absolutely zero nonsense. And if you put up with any, if you try to pull any nonsense on them, they're going to, they're going to, excuse me, they're going to make you pay. And so what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, obviously we're in this COVID world that we live in. We got a bunch of mask penalties, a bunch of mask fines. Ole Miss earlier this year, I got hit with a hundred thousand dollar fine because the SEC didn't like how they were taking the mask policy set forth by the league. Tennessee got a fine, Texas A&M got a fine, and it's worth mentioning, by the way, 
It's not that the coaches or players weren't wearing masks. It was that they weren't wearing them the way that SEC officials wanted it, right? Jeremy Pruitt looks like Little Red Riding Hood out there. He's got everything but his mouth covered. Lane Kiffin's pulling it up and down, whatever. Jimbo Fisher's kind of um, uh, basically ignoring the rules. And so they're getting punished. They're getting fined upwards of $100,000. Lane Kiffin last week, I talked about it on Monday's show, but it's worth repeating. Lane Kiffin. Blown call, cost Ole Miss a game two weeks ago against Auburn. Lane Kiffin gets on the the phone with SEC offices. SEC admits that they got the call wrong. Lane Kiffin responds by liking a tweet that calls out the SEC offices, and they hit him with a $25,000 fine. Not for sharing a tweet, not for calling out the SEC offices, but for liking a tweet that announces that the SEC got the call wrong, which the SEC agrees with. And so when I look at this in the bigger picture, to give Dan Mullen the same fine as he gave Lane Kiffin, I think it's a little hypocritical. You've been saying all offseason, all, all, all fall long, that it's a zero-tolerance policy this, this fall. Well, what's worse? In all seriousness, and we all know COVID is a serious deal, but everybody on the sideline has tested negative. You can't be there if you didn't test negative. So God forbid a guy pulls down his mask to talk to one of his players, but that's a $100,000 fine, but Dan Mullen instigates a brawl, or at the very least escalates it, and he only gets hit with a $25,000 fine? Lane Kiffin, what's worse, a little criticism of the SEC via a like tweet, or Dan Mullen escalating a brawl where players could have gotten seriously hurt? And so to me, I understand where SEC fans, and by the way, I heard from a lot of them on Monday, weren't very happy with the SEC offices with this decision. They thought it should have been more. They thought, frankly, a lot of people thought he should have been suspended for the Georgia game. And a lot of people think he wasn't suspended solely because Florida is playing Georgia this week. And that if they were playing Vandy, if they were playing South Carolina, if they were playing Arkansas, if they were playing whoever that wasn't Georgia, that wasn't the SEC game of the week on CBS that Dan Mullen would have been suspended. I don't know the truth, but I will say it is bad optics for the league. You can find Texas A&M or Ole Miss up to $100,000 because you don't like the way they're wearing masks, but Dan Mullen escalates a brawl and you pop them with $25K. That's it. Not fair. I don't don't know what the answer is, but you need to come down harder. Whether it's a bigger fine, $100,000, $50,000, whatever. Whether it's suspending them for a half, suspending them for a game. I just thought it was weak by the SEC. I thought that they didn't come down hard enough on this guy based on what he did and really just the precedent that they've set throughout the offseason, which is that if you cross us, if you don't follow and play by our rules, then you are going to be punished accordingly. Well, I know there's no rule for starting a brawl, but I just thought the SEC came off weak. I thought they came off soft, and I thought they came off trying to protect their biggest game of this weekend and potentially a playoff team in Florida by only punishing Dan Mullen by hitting him with a $25,000 fine. If you're an Ole Miss fan and you're mad that Lane Kiffin's getting singled out, I don't blame you. If you're a fan of Georgia and you're mad that this guy is on the sideline based on how he acted, I don't blame you. And by the way, here's the other thing on top of that. I think you can kind of make the case that Dan Mullen sort of mocked the, the, the whole situation by wearing the Darth Vader outfit 
to the press conference, right? And like, I get it, you know, it was Halloween and he's trying to be funny and all that stuff. But like, at the same time, isn't he kind of saying, <laughs> sorry, I'm just thinking about when he was actually answering real questions about this issue wearing a Darth Vader outfit. But, he, you know, it's basically like, you know, he's, he's coming in as the villain, as, as the force, as whatever it is. I'm just saying. I thought the SEC came off soft. I thought they came off weak. And I thought they should have been more aggressive just because this is the precedent that they've set. Uh, so we'll see. But it seems like they could have come a little bit harder. All right, let's transition to some basketball. Because uh, as I said off the top of the show, like we are literally three weeks from the start of college basketball season. And I don't think anybody realizes it. I don't think anybody realizes how close we are. We were actually supposed to start the season a week from today. Uh, or November 10th, excuse me. Obviously, that was pushed back because of COVID. Now we are starting the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, so the day before Thanksgiving. And come Thanksgiving Day, baby, we got some college hoops. So with that, I just thought that now is a good time to start ramping up. I understand that with so many other sports going on here over the last couple months that it's been kind of hard to kind of look into the front view uh, of the windshield and realize that we are really, really, really close to college basketball, right? NBA just ended. World Series just ended. It's hard to think that in two weeks we're going to get, uh, you know, Texas A&M Creighton or whatever. And so we're going to ramp up the college hoops coverage. Uh, we're going to start today with the SEC. We'll do a broad SEC preview. I'm not going to do team-by-team team depth chart. How is Mississippi State's front court offense? Like, no. What I'm going to do is hit on the big teams, the big storylines, the big players, what you need to know. And then, of course, we will get to Rick Barnes, who has maybe the best team in this conference. So I want to start. I'm actually not going to start with Tennessee. I'll start with Kentucky because, in my opinion, Kentucky is the best team in this conference. And, and, and a Tennessee fan that has tuned in for the Rick Barnes interview or listens to the show regularly, I understand your point on Tennessee, and I'm going to explain in a second why I have Tennessee just behind Kentucky. But let's start with Kentucky. Um, and I just – look, I really like this team. First of all, you got to remember – uh, two top 10 recruits that are both going to be lottery picks, Terrence Clark and BJ Boston. And for people who haven't seen those guys play, Terrence Clark is kind of a combo hybrid guy. He can handle the ball. He can play off the ball. He's a wing. He's crazy athletic. BJ Boston, one of the best scorers in high school basketball, not quite as athletic, but a really good athlete who's really a three-level scorer. He played at Sierra Canyon, where LeBron James's son played, where Dwayne Wade's son played. I saw him play a couple times last year, and he's just really a phenomenal scorer. Um, when it comes to Kentucky, beyond those two, Olivier Saar is obviously the name to know. He is the transfer from Wake Forest, and I'll tell you this. I talked about Olivier Saar when he got ruled eligible a few weeks ago. I actually think there's a little too little buzz on Olivier Saar. Now, maybe not from a Kentucky fan's perspective, but I think nationally there's kind of this narrative of, oh, if he was so good, he'd be in the NBA by now. First of all, third-team all-conference, so you know he's doing something right in the ACC. He averaged 14-9 at Wake Forest last year. They were the worst team, so he wasn't on anybody's radar. And let's be honest, if he averaged 14-9 and was playing at North Carolina or Duke, We'd be talking about him as a potential first-team All-American. So I'm not saying he's a first-team All-American, but if you can average 14 and 9 in the ACC, you can ball, man. You can ball, and as I've said on previous shows, I just think that because he's not from the United States, he didn't grow up traditionally playing basketball, he got to basketball a little bit late, uh, 
you know, I, like it's okay. He's 21 and he's not a, a finished product. But I think he's going to be really good for Kentucky, and I do think he's the missing piece. He is, of course, also the most important piece from the perspective that he adds a ton of shot blocking, rim protection, and defense. And with Kentucky, with this specific Kentucky group, I think defense is actually going to be their calling card. Um, Kentucky's had some great defensive teams since John Calipari's gotten there. Obviously, uh, you know, 2015 stands out with Willie Cauley-Stein and Carl Towns. I think this might be the best defensive team they've had since then with Olivier Saar protecting the rim, Isaiah Jackson, another uh, freshman protecting the rim. The, the wings are really talented. And I think we're talking about maybe the best Kentucky team defensively since 2015. I do think the big thing with Kentucky that is going to be worth watching is how do they get, how are they at the point guard position? They have a four-star kid named Devin Askew, also from the LA area. I've seen him a lot coming up. And a transfer named Davion Mintz at point guard, who are both really good players, but they're not like the great elite difference-making players that Kentucky has had in the past, like a John Wall, like a De'Aaron Fox, whatever. And so what are you getting out of that position? Can you get a B or B-plus out of that position if everywhere else across the board is an A or an A-minus? That is what's going to be worth following. But to me, when I look at Kentucky, I just think they're really talented. They're going to be really good defensively, and they're going to be really good offensively. And so to me, they are the favorite in the league. Want to get to number two, that is the Tennessee Vols. Obviously, you're going to get a much better breakdown of Tennessee from Rick Barnes here coming up. But when I look at Tennessee, um, if you're a Tennessee fan and you want to argue that you should be the preseason favorite, I'm not going to fight it, right? So for people who don't know Tennessee, they basically return everyone of consequence really from last year's team. Uh, their starting point guard went down in the middle of the year, so Lamonte Turner is gone and Jordan Bowden is gone. But Eve Pond's kind of a switchable, versatile, guard, forward, hybrid guy. He plays down low, but he's only like six foot six. He is back. John Fulkerson, who was awesome late in the season, is back. Uh, one of my favorite stories in college basketball last year, Santiago Viscovi, their point guard. Uh, he arrived from Uruguay January 1st, goes to campus, and basically gets inser inserted into the starting lineup the, the 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 very next day plays well against LSU and I thought he played really well and to go back to the Rick Barnes interview that I had from back in uh, in April you know we talked about the fact that if you think about Tennessee overall I think you can actually argue that they overachieved last year all things considered even though they weren't necessarily in a position to make the NCAA tournament because of the fact that they had to overcome so much, their starting point guard getting hurt right in the middle of the season, uh, their new starting point guard arriving from Uruguay right in the middle of the season, and just a lot of the stuff that they had to deal with. But when you factor in all of the guys that have come back with a top five recruiting class, um, headlined by two guys that Rick Barnes is going to tell you more about momentarily, Jaden Springer and, uh, why am I blanking on the other kid's name? Whatever, two two star guys, Jalen Springer. I can't, Jaden Springer. I can't believe I'm blanking on the other guy's name. But the reason I bring it up is that when you factor in, we're talking about now two, uh, you know, a bunch of really quality players returning with a top five recruiting class, headlined by Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson. That was the name I was missing. You see why people are so hyped about with Tennessee. The only reason I'm not picking Tennessee to win is very simply this. They are still a team 
that finished 17 and 14 and 9 and 9 in the SEC last year. Now, if you want to argue they were playing really well down the stretch, they win at Rupp Arena, they should have won at Auburn. I'm not going to argue with you on that, and that frankly, if they could have just avoided a couple injuries early in the season, they certainly would have made the NCAA tournament. If you want to argue that, that's fine. The way that I look at it is just that one, you know, I, I just I, I think that. This is a team that was still a fringe NCAA tournament team, and historically to go from not even making the NCAA tournament all the way to top 10 preseason conference favorite, that doesn't happen at a lot of places except for the Kentuckys and Dukes and Kansases of the world, and even Kentucky Duke Kansas, they're not fringe NCAA tournament teams. So like, even if you look at a team like Baylor last year that kind of came out of nowhere, um, they still made the tournament the year before, right? And so when I'm looking at Tennessee... I think they're really good. I think they're really talented. I just think the jump from fringe NCAA tournament team on the wrong side of the bubble to preseason top 10 conference favorite just feels like a lot for me. I have them somewhere in the top 15, and I do believe that they're, they're number one or number two. I just personally have a number two. Third team I want to talk about. You're going to love this, people. How about them LSU Tigers? Listen, if you don't like Will Wade, and anyone who's not an LSU fan does not like Will Wade, I get it how he recruits, what he's done in the past. Um, you know, it's like, it's like Mark McGuire said in front of Congress. I'm not here to talk about the past, okay? All I can tell you is this is one of the most insanely talented rosters in college basketball. So first of all, I bring back uh, basically uh, uh, several key contributors from last year who tested the NBA draft orders and came back. Javante Smart, who was their starting point guard. He averaged four and a half assists a game to go along with 12 points. And Trenton Watford, who was kind of like a legitimate stunner that he decided to return to college basketball, he averaged 14 points and seven boards as a freshman. And when I look at those two, I think both are first all SEC first team type players. Now, Javante Smart needs to limit the turnovers, but those are two first team all SEC type players. Trenton Watford is a potential All-American, but it's beyond those two that has me so excited about LSU. One... Another loaded recruiting class, insert your own commentary here, but a kid named Cameron Thomas, who's a great scorer, maybe the best high school scorer, or scorer in high school basketball last year comes to LSU, and then on top of that, not only the returnees, not only the freshmen, they got two big-time transfers too. Don't forget, Sharif O'Neal, son of Shaq, now at LSU, his father's alma mater, Josh LeBlanc, who started his career 6'9", 6'10", at Georgia, now at LSU. And so when I think about LSU, you talk about a team with experience, experience guard play, scoring on the wing, scoring down low, size and athleticism. They got the goods, man. And listen, I don't know how far they're going to go, but they are a team that is good enough to play with anybody. They're a team that's good enough when you put them on the floor with even the best teams in the country, Gonzaga, Duke, Virginia, Michigan State, uh, Iowa, Illinois, athletically, LSU is going to be able to match up with anybody. I had them right outside the top 15 in my most recent um, top 25 following the NBA draft. This is a team that's good enough to get to the Final Four, people. I'm just telling you. Speaking of a team that can match up with pretty much anybody, how about them Alabama Crimson Tide? Alabama, Nate Oates has done an unbelievable job with this roster since he has gotten there. And I think the cool thing about Nate Oates and the cool thing about Alabama where we're at is that... 
he has established his brand and how he wants to play. He almost plays like the Houston Rockets have the previous years, and I've talked about it on previous shows, so Alabama fans, forgive me for simplifying it, for dumbing it down, but... Uh, essentially, you know, he wants to shoot a lot of threes and he wants to get a lot of layups at the rim. And so you obviously need athletes, you need guards, you need defenders, you need players that can shoot threes, and he's got a roster full of them. First of all, returnees, Jaden Shackelford, 15 points a game. Uh, John Petty, who's back for his senior season, it feels like he's been around forever. He played with Colin Sexton a million years ago. Um, he is back as well after averaging 14 last year. Uh, but it's kind of the returnees with the newcomers. I should mention Herb Jones is back as well. Uh, the newcomers, it's just crazy. So first of all, Javon Quinterly, former five-star point guard, started his career at Villanova, McDonald's All-American. He is now running the show at Alabama, and I heard rave reviews about him last season practicing against Kyra Lewis and the role that he played in really elevating Kyra Lewis into what he is now, which is a likely first-round NBA draft pick, a certain first-round NBA draft pick, a potential lottery pick. So you have Javon Quinterly. Um, and then beyond that, some other newcomers you need to know. First of all, on the perimeter, they added another five-star guard named Josh Primo from Canada. And they added this kid, Jordan Bruner, a graduate transfer from Yale who's big, athletic, gets up and down. And so you look at this team, going to be fast, going to be aggressive, going to shoot a lot of threes, going to be athletic as heck, uh, going to be big, going to be physical, all the things that you need to play NATO's system. Now, they do need to play defense better than they did last year. But when you talk about a team that skill-wise and athletically can match up with anybody, Alabama's right there along with LSU, Kentucky, and Tennessee, and they're going to be fun to watch. Staying in the same vein, flipping rosters, Eric Musselman, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast. Um, nothing to say about him that you don't already know. Hit the transfer market hard. You lose Mason Jones in the offseason, the SEC runner-up player of the year behind Emmanuel Quickly. Uh, and in kind of just a weird, bizarre shocker, uh, Isaiah Joe announces that he's coming back to Arkansas at the draft deadline for college, but the NBA still allowed him to uh, enter the draft up until a week or two later. He leaves and uh, decides to leave after announcing that he's coming back, leaves for the NBA right before the NBA's deadline. He was the only player to do that. It was obviously a crushing blow for Arkansas. I had them in my preseason top 25. They are probably right on the outside right now, but it doesn't change the fact that I think athletically, physically, a lot of the same stuff I said about Bama, you can say about Arkansas. I mentioned on, on Twitter and Instagram the other day, the name to know there is a kid named Vance Jackson, uh, former top 50 recruit, started his career at UConn, played at New Mexico the last couple years. He is big, about 6'9", 6'10", but he can handle the ball. He can shoot. And I have been told that he is killing it in Arkansas practices. And what's important about him, and I've said this so many times, but people bear with me, is that when I look at Vance Jackson, the thing I can tell you definitively about an Eric Musselman coach team is that off, he demands a lot of you defensively. But offensively, he puts, his, he puts the ball in the best playmaker's hands and he says, go get me buckets. That's what Mason Jones did last year. That's what Cody and Caleb Martin did at Nevada. And that's what Vance Jackson is going to have the opportunity to do at Arkansas. Also, other talent around him, like LSU, like Kentucky, like Tennessee, a top 10 recruiting class, four uh, top 100 players. Name to know is Moses Moody. He's kind of a, an athletic wing, 6'4", 6'5". Uh, really, really talented player. Um, 
Uh, what was I going to say? K.K. Robinson, a point guard. He's a little small kind of stature-wise, but when he grows into his body, he has the chance to be really good in the SEC. And yeah, Musa, Musselman hit the transfer market. Justin Smith uh, transfer from Indiana, who's a really, really good player. J.D. Note sat out last year. He's a little bit getting back slow from injury. And Connor Vanover, three transfer from Cal, but really talented, a really good shooter, all that stuff. Uh, a couple other teams in the SEC, and we'll get to Rick Barnes here momentarily. Um, the first one is I do want to talk very briefly about Texas A&M. Texas A&M, people forget. Buzz Williams was SEC coach of the year last year. Took a team that won, I think, four or five games in the SEC. They go 10-8, and eight, and I'm telling you right now, I know for a fact that Tennessee or that uh, Texas A&M went to Nashville to the SEC tournament thinking that they could win the SEC tournament when they got to Nashville. It was obviously canceled, but now they bring back a bunch of really good players from last year. They themselves had a good recruiting class, had a kid named Jackson Robinson who reclassified Hassan Diara, another player. And Buzz Williams, he gets the most out of his teams. That is a surprise dark horse team to keep your eye on in in the uh, SEC same with South Carolina. I'll tell you this, like South Carolina is a really interesting team because I don't think people realize they haven't had great win-loss records, but they've actually been really, really good in the SEC. Over the past five years, past six years, excuse me, they have finished in the top four three times. I take back, I'm tripping over my words here. Past five years, South Carolina, has finished in the top four of the SEC three times and the top six four times out of the last five years. They've only made one NCAA tournament, but when they get to SEC play, they have a ton of success. This is a team that beat Kentucky last year. It was one of Kentucky's few losses in the SEC. Um, and they just play hard, and they got a lot of guys back. They got uh, A.J. Lawson, who's an NBA draft caliber player, withdrew from the NBA draft, decided to come back for his junior year. Um, and when you look at uh, the rest of the roster, they're going to play hard for, for Frank Martin, and I think they're going to be competitive. They're older. They have a lot of returnees. I think that's a dark horse team to watch. Uh, finally, last couple teams, uh, I'd say one, Florida's kind of the opposite of a dark horse. What's the opposite of a dark horse? A light horse? Like, we know everything about him. We know too much about him. You know where I stand on Mike White. I call him Deep, Deep South Shaka Smart because every year we get to hear how great they are all offseason, and then they don't deliver once it comes to the regular season. I'm not expecting anything different this year. They have a very talented roster. Keontae Johnson might be the best player in the SEC in terms of a college basketball player this year. Um, and Scotty Lewis is back, former McDonald's All-American, really, really, really talented player. But I just look at this team and I just, I can't get excited because every year we all get excited this time of year and they disappoint. Uh, Auburn, I think, is very much in a rebuilding year. Bruce Pearl's incredible, but you, they lost their top six scorers off of last year, including Isaac Okoro, who's going to be a lottery pick. Hard for me to get excited about them. And then two teams I'll give you uh, just a quick little rundown on. One is uh, one is uh, Missouri, which returns 88% of their scoring from last year. Uh, Missouri could be a team, if they can stay healthy, which could be dangerous. And Ole Miss returns a lot, too. Um, I need to see it. They struggled last year. The year before, they were hot early in the season, struggled late. So I need to see it from Ole Miss, but I could see a scenario where they're pretty good fringe NCAA tournament type team. Uh, I think I pretty much hit on everybody. The, thing, the only thing I'd say, Mississippi State stinks. Georgia really stinks. 
and Vanderbilt really stinks. Jerry Stackhouse, I just don't see it happening for them. I think he's a great X's and O's coach, but it's really hard to recruit to Vanderbilt. They lost two players from last year's team who are probably going to be NBA players next season. Both of them suffered injuries, uh, and I just don't think they have enough talent in Vanderbilt. So uh, I don't know if I'm going to do like an official picks. I may post something on Instagram here if you want to find it at Aaron underscore Torres, but I do like Kentucky to win the SEC, Tennessee right behind them. LSU, Alabama, Arkansas, really, really, really good. Uh, A&M is interesting, on and on and on and on and on. All right, I think that's it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I want to thank you guys for listening. Rick Barnes, head coach, Tennessee, coming up. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Really does help us move up those iTunes charts. Uh, What else? Social media, at Aaron underscore Torres, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. As I said, may do an SEC standings post there some point here in the next few days. But that is all for now. That is it. And now it's time for Rick Barnes. Really fun interview. I will recommend, by the way, If you didn't hear my interview with him in April, it was awesome. Go back and find it. One of the best interviews I've done. Um, But here is Rick Barnes, head coach of Tennessee. That is all. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Uh, Let's get to Rick Barnes. All right, joining me via Zoom, uh, very, very, very happy to have this gentleman back. He was on with me all the way back in April. Really fun conversation. A lot of people enjoyed it. Head coach, University of Tennessee, Rick Barnes. Coach, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, Aaron. You know, just uh, getting closer and closer to that start date, and uh, we just hope we can get it all together, and we hope all things go good. You know, I was thinking about our first interview that we did back in uh, April. And, you know, the one thing that really stood, a lot of things stood out. It was a really fun conversation. But one of the things that stood out, you talked back then, and that was obviously a different time in the world, but about the, the reality of not having your kids in the gym, not being able to just be around them, not even basketball-wise. Um a lot's changed since then. I know the kids have been back, hopefully, for at least a few months now. How nice is it just to be able to drive to the office every day, to be able to spend time with your guys? And then, obviously, we're obviously deep into practice now, but it must be nice considering where we were back in uh, March and April. It, it is better, obviously. It's, I'm not going to say it's normal because, because it's not normal, you know, but, but uh, it's as close to normal as I think we can be right now. Like, when you walk in our gym – Basically, for five months, our locker room was on the side of the court. We had the chairs spaced out accordingly to code, and each guy had a basket behind him, and they had a shower right off our practice court where they could shower. But uh, we've done all that, and we didn't actually go back into our locker room, and we've totally had to redesign what we had in there. The lounge area is now gone because the one thing that I think came from – what we've learned early with football and, and the COVID in general is, is when it can be, you know, shared would be when people are lounging around together. So we took out the lounge and we put in a table where everybody does have their space. We've always eaten in our locker room after practice and those type things. And 
one thing the guys wanted back in the, they they really wanted to go back in the locker room. They really enjoy our locker room here, and we enjoy being there. You know, there's a lot of team bonding that goes on there, and and you know with everything that we have. But uh, so that's different. But overall, you know, it's so much better. But you know what? We still haven't had our whole team together yet. Wow. Not one day, and uh, we hope. And that's not just because of the uh, COVID. That's with some injuries and those type of things. And us choosing to set some guys out to let them get healthy. But we are looking forward to the day that we can get them all out there. That's what I was going to say from your perspective as a coach. I mean, you know, coaches always talk about we're a family, all that stuff. Has it hurt the ability to build bonds with the new guys for the new guys to build bonds with the new guys? Or is it, you know, it's, it's something that obviously, look, everybody is adjusting to players, coaches across the country. How has it affected the, the little things like being able to get together, all that kind of stuff? You know, that's a great question. I, I like to think, I like to think that <laughs> it hasn't, but uh, we're not, we, the locker room is, is, was a big thing for us. Being together like that and being in there is a fun time. We, we haven't had that, you know, we, we haven't been able to do that. Now we still, most of that kind of, uh, uh, you know, fun takes place on the court. Obviously sure. because that's where we're not going to, you know, we're not going to, hang out in the locker room and do those type things. But I think in terms of the team still bonding, I, I, I feel good about our team with that. Do I, do I think it could be better if we were in the locker room? I, yeah, I like to think so. Uh, I, I still think that our freshmen haven't gotten the full effect of being a true freshman. They haven't been able to reap the benefits of, a, you know, what we talked about. I think we talked about it uh, spring, the summer, the fall, you know, all those type workouts. And uh, and we're a little and I feel we're a little bit behind with them in some areas. Uh, but but in terms of the chemistry with our team, we've got we've got a great group of guys and our seniors and our older guys have been around, have done a good job with our young guys. And our young guys are still learning, but they're learning some things right now that I, I'm telling you they would have already known two three months ago if we'd have had a full summer. That's what I was going to ask. You know, I mean, obviously, look, college basketball is kind of a sport where there's a lot of roster turnover. You not only have veterans, but, you know, you have veterans who have won at a really high level SEC championship, Sweet 16s. How important – I know Eve Pons was right up till the NBA draft deadline, John Fulkerson, all that. But how important is it just to have those guys, not only from their talent, but from actually just being able to say, hey, this is how we do things. This is when we get here. You know, if, you, if practice starts at 4, we're here at – three, you know, three o'clock to get taped and all that. I mean, how important is all that kind of stuff? It's, it's really important. It is. You know, when you have guys like that, they're the ones that kind of carry the torch for you. And uh, that's what you want. You're, you're, the best teams are when they're the ones that are the standard barriers to where they're the ones, like you said, hey, when we say three, that means 10 till three. Or we say be ready to go. It means not walking in, you know, la you know just lag – lagging around and doing whatever you're ready to go but uh they they do it differently though Aaron you know like John and Eve by nature are one are just great kids and they're not the kind of person that's going to want to get on guys with a verbal kind of assault anything like that they're going to do it they're going to do it with the way they they go about their their business every day days off those guys are in the gym working they practice I mean some guys do what they can to get out of practice. These guys, it kills them if they can't practice. I mean, I'm talking when we're in a day where we're getting high reps in. You can't get those guys off the court. 
And unless we, as a coach, tell them, like, you know, like a, a guy on the side will say, hey, let me sub in, they'll say no. And, and, they, and the older guys see that. And I've always believed this, that older guys can take all you want to give them. They don't need it. But younger guys need everything you can give them, but they can't take it yet. And that's where we're a little bit behind with the freshmen because they, they need to, a little bit more. Uh, and so we actually are really trying to encourage and honestly having our older guys sit out a little bit more than normal to give these younger guys more reps because they need it right now more than the older guys. How, uh, how have the young guys looked? I mean, obviously – there's so much buzz about this recruiting class. And I, I remember talking to you in the spring and you loved what you saw from them. Obviously at the high school level, it's a different deal, but from the competitiveness, the willingness to defend, play both ends of the court, what have you seen from the freshmen so far? You know, uh, good, it's, it's been good. You know, Keon and Jaden's definitely have that uh, competitive fire where they want to compete. Now, are they learning a lot? They're learning a lot. Are they, are they struggled they've struggled because it's, it's as you said it's a little bit different from going from high school to college and as we all know it's a big difference going from college to the big leagues but uh they they have struggled but the great thing about those two in particular is that they they do really want to be coached you know they they they, they want they want to be good they they are and they realize they've got a lot to learn whereas you know Corey is a player that uh Corey walker has got to understand the physical demands of taking care of his body and, and getting himself in the kind of shape that he needs to be in. Those other two guys had to deal with that too, but Corey's going to have to, you know, for instance, uh, lose some weight and get his motor going a little bit more, but uh, that's normal. I mean, all freshmen are different. They really are. And, uh, and so we talk to them all the time about what they need to do individually to get where they need to go. And like I said, they're all receptive to that. Well, I remember talking to you last time and, you know, you had to steal a shipment of popcorn from Grant Williams to set the tone with him. So, you know, listen, it's not like this is this, this hasn't happened even to the, to the guys that made it to the pros, you know? You, you know, Aaron, what, what happens when, when you recruit someone and, and, you know, you really do as much work. And I've said to you that, you know, my assistant coaches are the best in understanding what we want in our program and how they go about recruiting. But the other thing, uh, you don't really know everything until you get to be with a person every single day. And what we do know is that we have, we have great, great people, great character people. But then you start every day when you're with someone, you see all the little things that you need to work on with them to help them be what they want to be. And, and again, and every player is different. And like Grant Williams was a guy that you mentioned that had to lose weight. You know, that's a, that's a position right now that, that, that Corey Walker's in. You got to do that. Uh, Keon, you know, and, and uh, Jane are learning how to really be part of an offense, you know. And, but defensively, those guys, like I said, they're, they, they want to guard. They take great pride in it, which I think does put them ahead of most freshmen because most freshmen don't have that part of it. But these guys do want to – they take great pride in the fact they want to be able to guard the ball. Now, they are learning how to play team defense. One-on-one -on, -one on the ball, they're going to they're gonna do their job. But now being part of a team, learning how to – do the tags on a pick and roll situation, those type things are things that it's all new to them. When you say learn how to be part of an offense, is that just, you know, obvious, not, not critic. I don't know how these guys were coached before they got to you, but obviously a lot of one-on-one, -on -one, I assume they've always been the best player wherever they are. Is that what you mean when you say learn how to be a part of an offense? And, and learn the system, learn our system, what we're doing. And, you know, we, and we, we want our guys to be aggressive and, but what they, what again, and they 
both come out of programs where they were well coached, you know. And, sure. uh, so, but the, but the fact is, what worked maybe in high school is not working in some sense. Those gaps close up, close up a little quicker. And they're, for instance, uh, shots being contested. Sure. Were, you know, that as, as you go higher up the level, you know, shots are contested at a, at a very high level. Uh, you know, nothing easy, you know, where guys are competing too, they're, they're, and it's every day. And, uh, you know, there's a confrontation at the rim maybe now more so than in the past. So it's, those, it's just uh, the adjustment from high school to college. Do you think, you know, and I think about your career, you've coached so many great players coming out of high school, even before Tennessee, Tristan Thompson, Kevin Durant, uh, Corey Joseph, all those guys. And the one thing that I've learned covering it, we all, myself included, we spend so much time talking about the freshmen, but for every Zion Williamson or Kevin Durant, uh, there's a lot of guys that are really, really, really good in high school, hyped in high school that maybe don't realize how big of a jump it is to college, right? Everyone sees Zion, ACC Player of the Year, um, not even with these guys specifically, but would you say that's a fair assessment that as good as so many of these guys across the country, not just at Tennessee, not just in the SEC are, a lot of guys just don't realize how big the jump actually is to college basketball. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, there, there's no doubt. For say, for instance, if uh, Zion Williamson would have played against John Fulkerson, who he's probably never heard of, he would find out, hey, this this guy can go, you yeah. know. And so I, I I do think that's true. And you know, there's people being, you know, just I don't know if the words naive, but uh, the fact is understanding that there's a lot of guys that can play, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, it doesn't matter if they're McDonald's All America or not. But you go back and you look at guys like. Say Zion Williams comes in and you know, he's physically just unbelievable physical player, you know, player of the year. Then you take a guy like Kevin Durant, who was very skinny, but had a skill level that was unmatched by anybody that I've ever coached. And they and there was just there's something about those guys, you know, there's there's they're, they're like Kevin told me one time, he said, I know that I have great God-given ability, and I want you to coach me as hard as you can coach me because I don't want to have any regrets. And then when you get a guy with that kind of attitude, that's the making of a superstar. And uh, and I do think this, the word pro is, is thrown around way too much at, young, at a young level. This kid's going to be a pro. This, you know, this guy's going to be a pro. If we, if we, if everybody that's been told at some point in time they're going to be a pro, we'd have to have, we'd, one, we'd have to have 60, 70, 80 more teams, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and, Potential is a, is a word that, you know, as a coach, you've got to look at that and think what that is. But uh, the fact of the matter is there's only 450 NBA players. Now, there are pros overseas because if you're getting paid, you're technically a pro, right? But to play in the NBA, 450, and you are competing against the world. It's not just the USA now. You're going against the world. And so I, I, do, I don't think players understand really – when you're talking about the highest level, what it takes to really get there. Yeah, no, and it's something, you know, and I understand being in the media, why things like mock drafts are done and all that, but it's like, even I look at some of them and I'm like, you know, I, I, is that kid really a first round? You know, and, and, you know, especially now before they've played in college, all that stuff. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, you know, I want to talk about the outside. Of, by the way, I didn't even ask you, just as a team in general, I know you said you're a little bit behind, but you do have a lot of talent. I mean, where are we at as a team? I know you said you're a little bit behind as a group, but I'm guessing all the pieces are there to hopefully eventually get there as you get more practice under your belt. 
but probably scrimmaging, getting full live scrimmaging because of where we're like normally right now, Aaron, we'd be getting ready. It's Halloween. This weekend, probably this weekend to scrimmage Davidson College. We have scrimmaged every year for 15, 17 years. You know, we've always scrimmaged uh, Coach McKillop and his team. And we need that right now. You know, we need it. So we, we need to be able to get more games like that. And the inter-squad scrimmage is good. And we need to get some of that, which we haven't to this point, because, again, the number situation and everybody understanding what we're doing. But we're getting close to that. And I think over the next couple of weeks, we'll get – obviously, we got, you know, a little bit under a month to get ready. But uh, we'll get there. But it's, it's that – that's probably where we're lagging behind just a little bit. Do you ever have to, you know, there's a lot of buzz, including from guys like me. I mean, I was saying it back in February before even last season ended. You win at Rupp Arena, you're right there at Auburn, probably should have won that game. And I'm sitting there saying, man, they could return everybody and have this great recruiting class. Um, but do you ever have to temper the expectations from the guys of, look, you guys are working hard, all that stuff, but don't buy the hype because we haven't accomplished anything yet? Because I look at you guys and I say, I might have been the one that started the hype train, and if so, I apologize, Coach. But, um, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done, and, and you know, it's a team that, that as this particular group, you know, that they're not as accomplished as yeah, – I don't know. I'll, I'll throw it back to you. Yeah. Well, what I think – I don't – again, I think it's great for our program. Then what you said, I think it's great, and I, and I think people should be excited. I want our people to be excited here, but I can tell you, based on the way we go about our work every single day, I think these guys would tell you that, yeah, we got a lot of work to do because we're a very transparent, truth-telling program where every day, you know, we watch film as a staff, you know, our coaches break it down, we break it down, we continue to watch film individually with our players, things like that, where we're not going to let them live a lie. You know, they're going to see where we got to get better. And uh, just within ourselves, I mean, there's areas right now, you know, we, we think we can be a good defensive team but we're not there yet, you know? And so when you keep showing them, and the fact is we've got a group of guys that I think they, they do want to be good. And, uh, and I, I do know that they haven't uh, – the older guys know how tough it is to be good. You know, the younger guys probably not so much, but I do think that once we get closer to game time, the older guys will again say, hey, we don't take anything for granted because we know on any given night if you're not ready to play, you're going to get beat. Have you ever been this close to a season where you're not totally sure when you're starting or who you're playing or uh, anything like that? Never. I, mean, <laughs> I didn't think, think about so. It. I mean, we, we normally know by, you know, August, August September, right. our schedule and all this. And, you know, Aaron, we, we're getting close, to be quite honest with you. You know, before we started recording, we were talking about, you know, the bubble blowing up. And so we had to scramble around and get some things in place. And we're, we're, we've got it pretty much done, I think. But you know the thing, too, that is going to be a big story, I'm telling you, in college basketball this year is going to be refereeing because they are in a really tough situation. I mean, you know, the thing that happens if three different referees are doing a game the night before and they come into a site and they get the call right before the game that somebody in the game last night, a player that, Ooh. you know, you know they, they we, we could start games this year with two officials. And the wow. problem then – and now we got, we're talking about it. Uh, I'm part of the rules committee and we're talking about what happens if one of those officials get hurt because the rule says you cannot end the game with one official. And so there's so much. And so 
I mean, we could sit here, you and I could come up with all kinds of scenarios about, you know, if it's a 20-point game with a minute to play, yeah, you could finish that game. But what happens if that official would get hurt at the start of the second half and there's 20 minutes to play with one official? You can't play the game and nobody wants to come back and restart the next day, especially if you know you've got to play, you know, two days after this game. And so that's going to be, that's going to be an ongoing story this year. Is, is how we can get through this with officials. And it's something that's being talked about really a lot because uh, we're all concerned about it. That's incredible. Something I hadn't even thought about. I think if there's anything the last three or four months have taught us about all our sports, it's there's so many variables that we you hadn't even considered. So last couple questions. I know you got to actually run here. I just want to ask you about the state of the SEC in general. I mean, it feels like, you know, you got there. You guys win the SEC a uh, couple years ago. But the, the recruiting, the coaching, the guys that have come in, uh, including yourself, I was just curious because I look at this league and I see so much talent across the board and just kind of curious as to, to your thoughts of, you know, we might be essentially league only. I mean, you hope you get your six, seven out of conference games, but uh, the, what your fate, for lack of a better term, might essentially be judged by how you do in this league and this league is maybe tougher than it's ever been. Well, one, you're right about our league. Our league as a whole plays extremely hard. Uh, as you said, really terrific coaches in the league. And we've got tremendous players. I mean, not only now are they athletic, and when you're athletic and you're skilled and you play hard, it, it's a, it becomes a lot of physicality in the league. And, and our league's like that. And I think, too, you've got coaches in the league that believe in that style of basketball which also things, I think it makes it a tough league for referees to work in because of the kind of style that we play. Some leagues are more of a finesse league. And, but uh, our league's terrific. It really is. And, you know, uh, I will tell you this. I, I don't think there's been a better commissioner in all of college athletics than Greg Sankey. And then uh, Dan Lieberbich has done an incredible job from the basketball side with coaches keeping us informed and helping us get through this. I mean, Aaron, if you knew what we were having to do with, with inside the arena, how we're going to have to change things in there this year, move the benches around from one side, in our place, from one side to the other to be where well, we're making sure we're doing everything that's, that's required for us to do. There's just so much going on, and, and, and the SEC has led that charge for all of us. We're lucky to have the leadership that we have there. Very good. Uh, last question, I'll let you go. Is there anything that we've missed that you would want a Tennessee fan to know, whether it is the in-game experience, if you allow fans, whether it is a player that stood out? I mean, anything that we haven't hit on? I know you're short on time here. you got to get yourself to the facility, but anything that we haven't talked about? You know, all I would say, we're hoping that the fans, you know, what I'm hoping, I'm, you know, I'm like you, I'm, I'm optimistic. I hope that as time goes on, maybe we can get to a point where we can let more people come into games. But to start with, those that come, the ones that can come, I know they're going to be loyal ball fans. And uh, my, my only regret is that, you know, we, we've got uh, Kansas coming in in our challenge this year. I wish they would be able to feel the full effect of Thompson Bowling Arena because it really is one of the great arenas in the country. But, uh, hey, again, whatever whatever's out there, we're going to have to adjust with everybody else and just hope that we can have a, a, a great year and, and um, for all of us in college basketball. Rick Barnes, the head coach of the Tennessee Vols. Coach, you got to run, man. I, I so appreciate you finding some time. Best of luck this season. Hopefully we'll talk. Hopefully there'll be packed houses. You know, next time we touch base, you know, 100% capacity. I don't know. We'll see. Positive vibes only. Trying to stay positive over here. So. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Aaron. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.